Hello, and welcome to the Order of Initiative. This is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where me and my friends talk about DMing and everything you could want to know about running your game. I'm Charles, and with me today I have Nathan. Hello. And Willis. Hello. Hey Willis, it's been a hot minute since you've been it's on. It's been a while. Yeah, good to have you back. Today, we're going to be talking about mysteries, but before we get into it, we're going to roll initiative to see who talks first. Guys, I've got this intro down. You're, you're, you're really good. You haven't messed up on it in like <laughs> one one uh, episode. In one whole week, yeah. <laughs> I got and a 10, the by week the way. We were off. I got a 12. <laughs> Eight. Oh, shit. Ooh. Well, I guess that's me. I have tried and failed to run a lot of mysteries, and I feel like I'm getting to a place where I feel like they're a lot better. Um, I And I'm sort of, you know, going to just go ahead and start off with a question. How how do you guys run your mysteries? Sort of like, what are you, what, what are your, like, what is your procedure for getting it going? Are you going for more like of a sandbox deal, or do you have a pretty clear structure going into it, how things are laid out? Um, I think sandbox is a fine approach in terms of like how the party is going to deal with things. If you can just set up a bunch of places where clues are that they can stumble into on their own way, I think that's fun. Um, that's definitely a sandbox approach to just kind of litter the immediate area with a bunch of things they can find. Um, uh, clues obviously are a big part of running a mystery, so... I think you can set it up in a bit of a nebulous way where every location they go to can have clues that lead them somewhere else. Um, that's, that's a big thing I focus on. Like if, if the blacksmith was murdered and they want to search his shop, there should not be one clue in the shop they can find. I try to set up like three or four different clues. Each one will lead them to another location. Um, I think that's a vital part of clues. When you find a clue, it should lead you to another person place or thing which in turn leads you to a person place or thing and so on that that's your very broad structure of a mystery is to kind of this series of breadcrumbs that leads you to seeing more and more of the bigger picture um the other thing i keep in mind is when writing up a mystery i i would really encourage you as the dm writing up a summary of the events that happened so whatever it is they're trying to solve whether it's a murder or uh, a theft, or whatever it is the mystery is focused on, write out this series of events in like plain, simple English, almost like bullet points. And that might seem boring, but that's fine. What the, the, the intrigue is literally just the unknown. So the mystery can just be as simple as a thief tried to steal a loaf of bread, but then the oven exploded and uh, evaporated him. <laughs> The scene of the crime is going to be, like, there's bread everywhere, there's a pile of ash, and maybe everyone nearby is dead, and the clues are, like, you heard an explosion, right? So, like, you might wonder what's going on, and maybe... Obviously, this is, a, like, off-the-cuff, not very interesting example. P- point is, like... Oh, man, the oven exploded presents- <laughs> and evaporated the thief. That's pretty... I, I, I would be intrigued. I It's a little concerning, to say the <laughs> least. Um, But, like, even though that's not, like, maybe complicated is a better term it's not very complicated but the fact that the party will come across this scene and need to fill in the gaps that creates the intrigue so just know what happened i've heard like 
some people will run mysteries without a concrete ending and it's like oh whatever the party gravitates towards that is the answer i i don't know about that i don't subscribe to that the the mystery box approach is dangerous and oh god frustrating yeah because i feel like if if the ending is nebulous and up to like the party's actions like who the murderer is then you can't properly set up clues or foreshadow things and that's what makes putting everything together feel satisfying like oh when that guy was washing <laughs> juice off his sleeve it was blood <laughs> listen if they didn't pick up on that though they're they're not <laughs> yeah i they're not the smartest but I, I'm of the opinion that you gotta you gotta know exactly what happened going into it because then that's the only way you're going to be able to feasibly and reasonably set up interesting clues. And of course, you can always set up red, red herrings. Um, yeah. And you you should set up red herrings. But uh, I mean, if you if you don't know that they're red herrings going in, it's gonna high likelihood they're gonna feel really weird and, and non satisfying when it's discovered later mm-hmm. on that they were red herrings. So. Yeah. Something that uh, I, you know, speaking of red herrings, is that you could do like lean into that sandbox. Whatever they're thinking is just like what you lean into and give more clues for that. But well, like also dropping small clues for like who's actually, you know, the actual reveal. Like and there's then, some there's some there's some actually important clues in the red herring trail they're following. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when uh, when you when they get to that final confrontation, you can drop the um, well. Actually, it was this guy on them, and it makes that reveal so much better. Because like a mystery where you follow the clues from start to finish, and there's no surprises, and you get to the end, and all the players are like, "Ah, I knew it," is you know fun for some people, but that surprise twist is like a really prominent thing in a lot of mysteries i think i can see some advantages of doing it like that like it is fun to do the twist or you know spring a twist on them i think i'm more inclined to i don't know try to get them to actually like solve it themselves because i think there is a lot of value in that i think players really enjoy that feeling of oh shit i figured it out like Having the DM just tell you seems like a little bit of a letdown, but at the same time, if if you're watching the party just kind of spin their wheels for two hours and not get anywhere, you might eventually have to just push things along. Or if they end up with the wrong approach, then you can spring a surprise on them. But um, like I I think um, the be- I think the best way to do it is you know play it how the cards land. If they if they get it right, they they get they get to be rewarded for that. If they get it wrong. Well, uh, then you get to surprise them, but uh, they're going to be punished in some capacity for it. Mm-hmm. I yeah, and I didn't mean to like when they get to the end and accuse the guy. Then you go, well, no, actually, I meant the uh, where they, they get to the end, and then they find out that they're wrong, and then you give them another like really heavy clue as to who it actually is, and then you know hopefully they can put together all the small clues that you hid in the red herrings along the way and then they still get to figure it out i'm still hesitant just because like i I feel like if if the i don't know the specifics you're thinking of so correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like if the mystery is set up in a way that it's unsolvable because they didn't have all the clues 
you're sort of just fucking with them. Like, if if it was unsolvable and designed to be unsolvable without you giving them that last clue, I don't think that's going to feel that satisfying. You'll they, they might. I think you run the risk of them feeling like, oh, we were we were just wasting our time because the DM didn't let us solve it yet. So no, that yeah, that's not what I meant. Um, gotcha. I think he was going on the uh, the uh, like if they were getting it wrong, um, like if they're uh, following yeah. the wrong trail. But even then, if if uh, it, like they're on this this potentially wrong trail for a long time, I feel like I'd try and lean more into hints to try and get them on the right track. Or at yeah. least reveal to them that they're wrong earlier, and maybe maybe punish them for it, like someone else dies. But Willis, uh, did you did you mean more like throwing them a bone if they're they're like stuck? I meant that like, so like players will make assumptions, and then they will make decisions based on those assumptions. And if their first assumption is wrong, and they keep following it despite any sort of like nudge the other way, because. I, I, I also definitely think that, like, you don't want to lead your players by the nose to the conclusion. Yeah. You know, because if you have too heavy a hand in it, then it's, you know, it's not as satisfying. But if their assumptions are wrong and they keep making those assumptions, and you can lean into it and play it up like they are right, and then when they get to the end and, you, you know, give them a reveal, like... I kind of feel like this happened a little bit with the, the train mystery, murder mystery that you did, where yeah. for a lot of it, we were kind of just assuming that um, the, oh God, the business partner and the wife were like in cahoots and did it. And personally, I kind of felt that there was like a, like I was waiting kind of for a twist. Mm -hmm. And then, um, when we got to the end where it was like just just before the like final accusation where we get that extra piece of information um and then it's like revealed this is like oh you know that it was well yeah i think what happened was you you guys were really dead set on it being the business partner and the wife that had, had been the murderers mm -hmm. and you're about to like lock them up essentially but then wasn't it you who was like you know we haven't talked to this last suspect just to cover our bases i'm gonna i'm gonna go ask about their version of the events just to make sure and that interview you were like oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think um i think my character did it alone right or was it yep yeah that's right that's and that was that was the big reveal and then it all like came together Got well yeah so so that I think a, what goes hand in hand with a with a good mystery is a murder mystery, mm -hmm. and they're pretty similar in D and D. Um, th I think there's some other things I would use to set it up. For one, um, I feel like you should introduce all the suspects before there's a murder. This feels a bit more like, kind of like pulp noir, but I like the idea of a, a social event or something akin to it. Just an excuse for the party to mingle with all the future suspects just to get an idea of everyone like all the suspects personalities in mind and and who they are and just at least have them in the back of your head to start with and if you can set up like riffs beforehand that's great so like the one i i brain with you guys is loosely based on a, a free um one shot called murder on the eberron express something like that i, I tweaked a lot of it but I, I made a good point of setting up, like, 
all, every single NPC has a reason to hate Egan Baker. He's an asshole. He's screwed over most of these people. He's cheating on his wife. He's got a bastard son here. Like, everyone here doesn't like him. And you guys knew that even before he was murdered. So when he is murdered, I think you all went like, oh, God, it could be anyone. <laughs> and I think I think that's such a fun way to set it up because you're not really hone, you're not going to immediately hone in on one person and grill them. Um, it, it's actually another thing, like during all these interviews you, you had with these characters, I had I had set up every single character having a secret. Not all the secrets pertain to the murder. But, for example, the wife and his business partner were simultaneously planning on stealing a lot of his fortune. So, and, and like, selling the blueprint to a prototype weapon he was making. So there was some, like, sneaking around into each other's rooms and uh, exchange of money. And you guys, rightfully so, latched onto that and thought it was, like, hush money or maybe someone had been hired to kill him. Um, and I think that's that's a fun example of Red Herring. And it also gives characters a good reason to be a little shady and not necessarily forthright with all information and even lie about where they were during the time of the murder but it obviously kind of runs the risk of them seeing really guilty because you guys honed in on that like oh definitely them to be fair you guys were also like we don't we we don't 100 percent know that's what it was for though like we know there was money involved it doesn't necessarily mean he was the killer but you i think you were getting to the point you're like it's close enough <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and there was also the um, there was a time factor too. Uh, yeah. We had a limited amount of time to solve this, and we were kind of like, "Well, we've got all these leads, and this seems to be the most promising lead. Let's follow it for you know as far as we can and see where it leads." And then, as it was getting towards the end, it was kind of like it was it was looking a little more and more like what it really was where they were just screwing him over and not uh actually trying to kill him mm -hmm. um which is you know also kind of a crime but then at the, at the very end there was just that last little lead that my character decided to go investigate and it was with a character that they had a special interest in and so it was just this like and this really? character was was shield the bodyguard to the uh -huh. the murder victim. Yeah, and it was before I think before we even knew that there was going to be a murder mystery, um, my character had gravita gravitated towards them. Um, yeah, both being like warforged, and I think at some point before, like right after the reveal of the murder, um, I don't remember if I ever actually called it out. But I was like, oh, it's totally going to be um, the bodyguard because that would be the most gut-wrenching thing for my character, you know, the most dramatic <laughs> thing. But then I was like, no, that would just be way too obvious, you know. And then, like, at the very end, I was like, what? What if? <laughs> like, maybe it is. And then investigating that led to a really cool reveal where my character ended up letting them go because they thought yeah. it was justified. <laughs> well, the, the, the bodyguard had killed their, you know, the Egan Baker because Baker had designed this silence pistol. Um, and in the setting of Eberron, it's just coming off the heels of a huge war 
and in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s mind, this weapon presented too great of a risk to this fragile piece, so decided to kill the person who made it. And, like, I think it's a fun, complex motivation, and it was so so satisfying, the ending to it, when when you solved the murder but decided that you couldn't really bring yourself to... I don't know, bring them to justice or like you, you understood their motivations enough that you just let them go. That was such a poetic chef's kiss of an ending to a, to a murder mystery. <laughs> it was good. It was, it was really, and it just like, it played out so like perfectly, like yeah. everything just aligned so well. You did, um, you touched on something else that I think is important. Um, the time restraint. So in the, in the bigger scheme of this campaign's events, you guys were on a bit of a time crunch because you were, you needed to get to somewhere to get information and then head back um, somewhere else because people were in danger. Complicated. I'll, I'm not going to get into it. Um, but you didn't have a whole lot of time to waste. So when this murder happened and there was talk of like, if we don't know who the murderer is before we get to the city, they're going to keep all of us in holding cells for like three days and interrogate everyone. That alone made you guys okay. We gotta solve this before we get there. And I, I set an IRL timer for three hours, which is immediately stressful. And I fucking love it. <laughs> and every now and then I would chime in like two hours, guys, hour and a half, guys. Um, I think you can sometimes rely on the party and the players to be invested because we're here for D and D, and here's what I'm presenting you today. But that added bit of stress and motivation goes a long way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like just like a uh, a known time limit. You could potentially give them quote unquote unlimited time at first, but then wait a minute, there's been another murder, uh, and suddenly there you do have a little bit of that crunch going on. It's like the you know the murderer could strike at any time. Uh, you know, the longer it takes for us to act and find this out, the uh, yeah, uh, the more people die. But uh, it's sort of an added, I guess, benefit. Uh, the more murders that occur, the more clues are left. So it sort of serves this double purpose of rushing the party, but also making it easier and easier as it goes. Especially like if they're taking that long, it could it's be true. potentially due to them struggling. And the, these these added the added evidence is going to make that a little bit easier, but um, reduce their score, as it were. <laughs> They get a review from the police afterwards. Ah, C minus. Guys could have caught him a couple days ago. <laughs> that actually, that does seem like a pretty powerful tool, Nathan, because it, on one hand, you are raising the stakes by more and more people dying. But in a hidden way, you are technically lowering, I guess maybe not lowering the stakes, but like you said, you are giving them more to work with. That's a good way to progress stuff. I have um, recently been kind of knocking around the idea of something like a serial killer arc for the campaign spoiler spoilers willis you uh -oh. guys come across a serial killer eventually but like i think there's a lot of fun that could be done with a serial killer yeah um, i I've, I've tried running that one before my actually first mystery i ever did was a was a serial killer arc i and believe I, I was part of that you were uh and i really um went way over my head because i really liked the idea of the big reveal for it being there's not just one murder there's 12 of them uh, I mean that's cool. It is cool, but it's also a lot of work and work that I was ill prepared for. Yes, if I can, if I can comment on that, I don't think you'll take offense. Oh, absolutely not. But but I do remember that being, I remember being lost during that, and I think the reason was is that you like you presented these murders happening, 
but it didn't really pertain to the party. It was just sort of a thing happening. And I think that is the danger of like presenting stuff to the party without an immediate investment. And to be fair, I was a new player and I didn't necessarily know about like respecting what the DM presents. You know, I was I was playing an edgelord and I was very like self-focused. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm equal, like I'm very much all, uh, also to blame for this. But I, I do think an element of it was that we just heard about these murders and it had nothing to do with us. Yeah. And that, that is, I think a symptom of me being new to the idea of mysteries in general. I just, I, I had this idea that I mm-hmm. want to do, and it did pertain to you in a, some capacity, which would have been revealed later, but, uh, Uh-oh. uh, I, ha- I had thought of that, but I, I, I didn't give you that immediate investment to go off of. I just had mm-hmm. this cool idea I wanted to run with and, uh, you know, was probably as lost as you were trying to <laughs> juggle 12 serial killers on top of the however many red herring potential suspects there were as well. Uh, 12 is a lot. It is it's a big number. That's a cool idea, though. Um, th- that actually is something else in my notes. The idea that, like, um, obviously, you know, we're in D&D, high fantasy, more often than not. I think if you're going to have, like, magical elements be part of the murder they should be set up in a way that's obvious. So like, or maybe not immediately, but eventually. So like if someone, say someone killed someone with finger of death, I would describe the body looking like unnaturally decomposed or like decomposed early or something that hit like clues into there being magic. And finger death is a pretty straightforward spell. You point at someone, they die. But there's a lot of spells in D&D that can get really weird. And if you picture, like, you know, a serial killer in the real world having access to spells like that, it would completely baffle traditional investigation procedures. So I wouldn't rely on magical serial killers too much. Otherwise, I feel like the clues are going to be too weird. If you have a wizard serial killer, the party's not going to know the 20 spells they have unless unless you somehow can provide evidence of like their spell book or like if they're looking into one of the suspects and they know they went to a wizard college and they know what school of magic they were interested in then that's at least clues yeah there's still ways to work with it though like for example i did a mystery recently where the um the the perpetrator was using the sleep spell on people which was particularly weird because they were elves and that Mm -hmm. comes up later but I sort of, uh, I clued into my party, it's like that the sleep spell was in use because uh, the material components of the sleep spell include a, a pinch of fine sand, rose petals, or a cricket. And uh, a high roll on investigation check revealed that the scene still smelled faintly of roses. See, that's perfect. And that's kind of what I meant. Like, as long as it's set up and they have something to hone in on the, the weirder aspects of it, it totally works. I like that a lot. If, if it's just that, like, people are asleep, that's weird. Not every player is going to know what the sleep spell is, or that it even exists. It definitely helps when you have a magic user in the party. And I had a wizard, um, Mm. and uh, they were already very suspicious because they, they, like, actually watched large groups of people just collapse. Or, actually, no, it was they they came across um, two guards who were guarding the the prison cell uh, of the escaped prisoner and found both guards were sleeping on the job, inexplicably, (laughs) in the middle of the day. Um, mm. like, uh, like there weren't even like chairs or anything. They collapsed to the ground at their post and that already clued them in something fucky was going on. Yeah. Uh, and our, so I think it is there, 
I think being in a magical world, um, I think magical crime and whatnot is, is a totally, I think, reasonable act and real exciting thing to pull off as long as, like you said, you've got um, good... A lot uh, that points towards it, yeah, yeah. like something that helps identify that rather than just, oh, they inexplicably died. <laughs> as, as long as we're talking about magic and murder mysteries, um, I think there's one spell in particular that uh, comes up a lot, and it's Speak with the Dead. And Zone of oh. Truth. Zone of Truth as well. Um, and I think they play a huge role in these, and there's a lot of different ways that you can handle it, where, like, they they don't necessarily need to be, you like, used, but you need to be aware of their existence yeah. in case the players have them. And, and, like, definitely don't, like, shut the players down for using them. Like, if they summon the spirit and, you know... They're like, okay, who killed you? And he just goes, I don't know. Then <laughs> it feels like a waste. But if they, you know, say, I don't know, but then they've yeah. got another clue. Because I believe the way the spell works is they only know what they knew in life, right? So if they mm-hmm. were like, if they were shot from behind, that's all they're going to know. But like you said, maybe you can have them say like, I didn't see them, but I did hear like, I heard they had spurs on. <laughs> they were wearing cowboy boots. That's something. Yeah, or like they came in through the window and then they're on the oh, third yeah. floor of a building. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that'd be a good way to kind of like shuffle around your clues as well. If you had something um, you wanted them to find and they ha- just haven't stumbled across it yet, just have this character be aware of it and then just move that around. Is it like every? I think every effort the party makes should probably yield some small clue, if possible. Yeah, and I I think saying I don't know is not as bad as who killed you. Oh, it was Frank. <laughs> yeah, and, then and it's like you, okay, all right, we did solved. it. Here we go. High yeah. five. And you and you do get three questions with with a zone with a, a speak with dead. So even mm-hmm. if their like, first question is who killed you, I don't know. They still have two more questions to work with that mm-hmm. they could potentially try and glean some other clues from, yeah. which I don't know if I'd feel yeah. particularly guilty about just saying, oh, I didn't I didn't I didn't see them, I was shot from behind. So even then they've got two more things they can work with, they just have to go in with, with more than just one question in mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, whenever we discuss, I feel like we always play devil's advocate, but I got a devil's advocate. I feel like there's a way you could set up um a a really like revealing use of that spell say for example the whole setup involves the body missing in the first place and someone in the party is known for their necromancy and their ability to speak with dead if part of the mystery is even finding the body in the first place and they finally find it somewhere i think then you're totally justified in like having that body reveal a lot of things oh absolutely but but even even that shouldn't be like the conclusion that in there it should be like oh shit the person that killed me was the captain of the city watch and then then that's a whole other monster to deal with like oh we know who it is but how the fuck are we supposed to confront the captain of the city watch that's that's just raising the stakes higher and higher and i think that's that's kind of a, a important part to running the game in general is always raising the stakes uh, another spell that I, I mentioned briefly before that you should probably keep in mind when running your mystery is the zone of truth spell um, yeah if you if you're just you know, players are going through and talking with every single suspect in the zone of truth, then uh, it, it, you know, that can potentially 
lower the stakes a bit because your party either always knows uh, that they're telling the truth or they know that they're, for example, like that the spell didn't work on them. And it's sort of, it's definitely a really useful tool, but, uh, and you don't want to shut your party down, but you also don't want it to sort of overpower the adventure. It is worth pointing out that it doesn't compel them. Like, yeah, I'm sure you know this, but in case people listening don't, they can, they can say shit like, I don't want to answer that. They just can't lie. Um, but if someone, if you're saying, did you kill them? And they go, I don't want to talk about it. That, I mean, obviously that's essentially saying they did it. One uh, one way I like to to do it is there's there's actually a great post on Reddit a while ago talking about this very thing. And one way, one thing I thought was really neat was that uh, um, the zone, um, testimonies compelled under a zone of truth are quote unquote not admissible in court because uh, for whatever, because that then you're suddenly relying entirely on the word of the caster who can um who can like maybe say oh yeah no there that uh the spell worked on them even though it maybe didn't or uh you know the the, the zone pings truth and the caster goes oh yeah well no he's he's lying uh or mm. or stuff like that and like maybe the this the town has a history of abuse of of this spell or and it just it sort of you know there's so much now laws and regulations around it that doesn't work super well um, yeah, and you need a second caster to cast Zone of Truth on the first cast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I think I think that's a good idea because like because then you can you can still let that be a tool for the party and they can be clued in like okay this person's hiding something let's dig into them further but then it's still up to them to like actually produce evidence exactly now that they have a lead you I can't just a good like compromise. walk the suspect up in chains in front of the captain of the guard drop a zone and and, and force a <laughs> confession it's like I don't are you lying. I yeah. don't know. I'm just a guard. I don't know magic. Uh, and there's there's enough weird spells in the world that you know, like there could be suggestion spell or charm friends. There's, there's a lot of weird mind fucky spells that could also be coming into play potentially. So I think it's fair to for people to be uneasy about zone of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would like just they think they're telling the truth, but they're oh yeah, oh fucking don't even get me started on modified memory. Yeah, <laughs> God. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's man. a good idea. I didn't think of that. Oh, I'm actually... You could just, like, modify somebody's memory to make I them need... think that they killed them and then be like... Yeah, I'm actually thinking... Truth, did you kill them? I'm thinking of, like, a really corrupt captain guard who does that exact thing, makes them think they genuinely killed someone, brings them in the court and says, look, we're going to cast Zone of Truth. And the person goes, I, I did kill them. It's like, see? He's telling the truth. Yeah, I mean... That's <laughs> fucked up. One one of my one of my uh, serial killers and the, the twelve serial killer thing I ran a while ago if you remember was an enchantment wizard so that was like his whole shtick and I remember oh. like working on like the the like actually playing through it and when he became involved I was just kind of thinking in my head like man I should have just made him do the whole thing this is awesome because <laughs> just imagine if all oh. those other like eleven dudes like were not actually involved but they just thought they were that just oh. that's actually really interesting. Ooh. And all these people like acting guilty because they think they did it and like racked with guilt. Like, I don't know why I'd do that. It's like, cause you didn't really. So I'm into that. I'm going to, I'm writing down notes about this. Cause this, this stuff's <laughs> actually kind of cool. <laughs> do Aside it. from murder mysteries, what other kind of mysteries do you guys like think about? Like, I know there's like the, it's the, the whodunit, whether it's a murder or, uh, heist or something like that what other kind of mysteries are there one of the favorite ones that i did was in like the third session of the game the first two sessions i had uh spent a lot of time introducing the party to a small town in the middle of the desert and it was the the starting town 
And so they'd gotten to know a lot of different NPCs there while they were living there. And then in the end of session two, I revealed, hold on a second, one of the people in this town is a dark elf spy. Ooh. And so they had been introduced to this town and then suddenly, oh shoot, somebody's, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the dark elves that have been attacking the town or, 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 or attacked the mine recently, they're getting their information from someone here. And so the third session was them sort of going around trying to figure out who it was. Um, which is a lot of fun because there was I, they started out with some information. It was something like um, they uh, the I have to you know give a lot of background here to make sure. Basically, there was an attack on the mine, and the dark elves were able to capitalize on it before the guards were even able to get there. So somebody had advanced information on that, and was able to contact their allies. Um, and of course, the perpetrator had a sending stone in their in their in their on their person. Uh, and so, and then I threw a lot of red herrings around, like there was, uh, when they went to go interrogate the priest, and then they creaked open the door, there was a red stains all over the floor. <laughs> and it turns out she was uh, dying a blanket for expecting mother. Um, <laughs> and and so there's there's a lot of fun to be had there. It was a lot, it was a much more lighthearted one than, say, like a murder mystery, because a lot, a lot of it was they'd go to talk to someone and you think, oh no, they did it, but it was some sort of lighthearted thing. And that was a lot of fun because it does exactly what you were talking about earlier, introducing all of the suspects at first. Yeah. Uh, and then then telling the party, someone's a criminal. It seems similar in, in in structure to a murder mystery because at the core you're like trying to find a person, right? Yes. But, done it. Yeah, but I think there's like, a, there seems like there's more paranoia in a setup like that because you are reevaluating everyone you met because you're aware that someone's like entire existence is a fabrication. Yeah. That becomes, you, you look at every facet of the suspects with more scrutiny, I think. And that's fun. Cause like it, there wasn't, there, there wasn't this um thing like at the beginning of, uh, of, Oh, you know, they all, they all hate each other. There's all this, this, all this beef. It's like, no, this is just a nice friendly town, nice small town living <laughs> vibe. Uh, and one of them is, is, is not who they claim to be. I think I'm leaning towards like pushing that even further and going like doppelganger route. Someone is straight up like a monster posing as a as a normal person. You don't really have to change too much. It's yeah. pretty much exactly what you're describing, but I, I like that idea a lot. All I really had to do paranoia. with it was um in my setting dark elves aren't black skinned. They're um they're they're a lot paler skinned than normal elves because my elves live in the desert and then the dark elves live underground. Uh, so it wasn't, it's not difficult for them. Like they don't have to like have a mat, had a disguise or something. They just go hang out in the desert for a little bit, get a little tanned up and then come into town, uh, <laughs> and wear special magical, um, contact lenses because of the sun. But other than that, it's not a big deal. That's just more clue. I was, I was going to say that, um, everybody being a suspect and nobody being a suspect has kind of the same effect where you're just like shoot it could be anyone yeah if everyone seems totally innocent Mm -hmm. then you're like well what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) how do you guys how do you guys feel about i feel like this might come into play more with murder mysteries but how do you guys feel about establishing that the for the sake of like the NPCs and for the structure of the mystery in general, establishing that the party is innocent, because that was something I kind of toyed with, um, with the murder mystery I ran for you, Willis, because mm-hmm. if if the party is suspects, it makes it difficult 
for them to investigate, right? Because everyone's gonna be like, well, how the how do, the hell do I know you didn't do it? Especially if like uh, a police force is involved. If they're really scrutinous of you, how are you gonna have free reign to like talk to all the suspects and wander where you want? So I think it's advantageous to like somehow establish a really, really, really solid alibi for the whole party so that they are allowed free reign. But on the other hand, it can be fun if that's their motivation for solving it. Like, they seem like the prime suspects. And if they don't prove their innocence by finding someone else, they're probably going to get locked up. This is Phoenix Wright logic. I think if you, if you don't prove someone else is guilty, you're guilty. I think, I think um, it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing a long-running campaign, um, the, 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 it, it's harder to establish potential party guilt. But in a one-shot, uh, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things to do, and I did this with both of you before, is uh, make it very clear to the people going in, hey, one of you could potentially be the killer. Uh, oh, yeah. And so I, with that one shot, I remember I took you all, you know, I took you all aside individually and had a five-minute conversation with each of you uh, with under the pretense that I could be having a conversation with one of you telling you that you were the killer. Um, mm-hmm. Which I thought was a lot of fun because it sort of, it, it, it builds not only paranoia between the NPCs, but with the players. There's... Um, you have to work together to try and figure out who this is, but the killer could be among you as you speak. Yeah, and that's really good for a one-shot because you don't necessarily know these characters. You, you're you meeting them for the first time, so maybe they are lying about something or everything. Yep, and, and that's it's. I was able to do, once, like, like you said before, introduce everybody going in. All the players got to know each other and got to know the NPCs, and then a man was dead. Oh, shit. Uh, and I think you guys did eventually pick up very quickly that it was, in fact, an NPC. Um, mm. I didn't set up my, that mystery particularly well. Um, but that sort of initial paranoia is a lot of fun, and I think that there's definitely a place for that in a one-shot. But it's a lot harder to pull that off in a long-running game where the players know each other. Uh, unless maybe I, you introduce I, a potential uh, antagonistic NPC to, to uh, at least one of your party members. I did... I did kind of mean more like the party as a whole. Ah. Like, the watch suspects that, oh, maybe these murder hobos are murdering people. <laughs> uh, I say just don't get the watch involved. Do Like, the, the train mystery is a great example. There are no police. Uh, yeah. How do we know that you you five murder hobos, like the other suspects are like, you're accusing me? How do we know you didn't do it? We don't know We don't know anything about you. I think, I think the way I set up for the party was that the train conductor knew for a fact none of them had left their rooms all night. So that was just immediately, like, they offered to help, and he was like, okay, you're, like, the only people here I can trust. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Yeah, and it's, can you can also do it as, like, the, the murder happened before they arrived, so they're the only ones who couldn't have done it. Yeah. So, that is actually, actually another element of mysteries in general I wanted to touch on. The idea of, like, a closed room, um, or a locked room, I guess is probably the actual Bottle term. episode. What? No, Screw it, we're mind. doing a bottle episode. Yeah, we're doing a bottle episode. Go on, sorry. I, I'm uncultured, what, what does that mean? It's where an entire episode of a show takes place in, like, one room, or oh. within, like, a confined area. I didn't know that term, but I usually like episodes like that. One of my favorite Doctor Who episodes is Midnight, where he's just stuck on a fucking yep. uh, tour car. That is a it. perfect example of a bottle such a good episode um but yeah the, the idea that like and I, I my notes say room in quotation marks because locked room doesn't literally have to be a room 
but the idea of a setting with a limited amount of suspects. If the murder takes place in like a super busy city, the the suspects become exponentially larger. And you can still work within that frame um, because the clues in theory are still going to start pointing towards someone. But I kind of like the train car um, murder mystery, which is a cliche, but I think it works because quite obviously you are working with a limited amount of suspects unless someone's getting to the train somehow, which could be fun to work with. But in general, you work with the idea that here's your suspects, here's all it could be, who is it? And so I think it sets up nice expectations to know that like it's one of these guys. Um, but there's a lot of ways you can do a closed room. Like if it's a, a smaller town that doesn't open its gates at night and it happened at night, so it had to be someone who was inside the walls, stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to, sort of, especially if you're newer to the idea of it, because it, it definitely, or your players maybe aren't as great at mysteries, it definitely um, narrows down. It, it uh, gives you a lot of constraints to work with, which are very, very convenient. So yeah. you don't have uh, 12 serial killers running around a big city. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I see, like I said, like that could still work, though, because I'm sure what you had in mind were cl tangible clues that would lead to people, like, you know. A limited amount of people or places or whatever yeah so it could definitely still work i just like the idea of like a it just feels neater in my head i suppose yeah no i i agree i think i think if i were to do it now i would do it a lot differently it's just for um for your first mystery it's uh yeah. it's it maybe a bit too much yeah something we haven't um really touched on which i think is a pretty vital part of running a, an efficient mystery is not relying on roles very much. I think it's perfectly acceptable to have investigation and perception roles because, I mean, you're fucking solving a murder and looking at crime scenes. Or it doesn't have to be murder, but whatever. You're solving a mystery and looking at scenes. Um, but if you have, like, vital clue number one that they can't solve the mystery without finding this in a room and the DC is 18 and they either don't roll or don't hit that roll... Your, your mystery should not fall apart. The cl clues should either be like, if the party says, let's let's look at the room, I, I think I would just be, just like give them the clues. Like if they look at the body, okay, you find like the bottom of his shoes are burned off. I don't think you need to roll to find that. Usually how I do it, and how, I, how I'm starting to do it more, is uh, I will, I will at any given quote unquote crime scene, uh, could be other things depending on what kind of mystery you're running. Yeah. I will I will always leave three to five clues. Yes. One of them will be found immediately. They won't need to roll for it. Uh, one will have a low DC to find, and one will have a high DC to find. Uh, the first clue is all if they could go to every single crime scene and just look at just find the one clue, and probably eventually solve the mystery. Uh, that high DC one is. Um, gonna make things a lot clean smoother or like maybe reveal some more juicy details uh and one and 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 that low dc one will definitely help them a little bit but it also might be a red herring um oh so i i depending on how many clues if i just have three clues i probably won't put a red herring if i have more than three one of them might be um but i definitely mix it up a bit so that i don't become formulaic i like uh, that structure a lot because it, it actually makes them feel like there's a point to rolling yeah uh that and also that being said because there is a strict structure to it 
Uh, one thing I might do the next time I run a mystery is I will probably make investigation rolls for the party. Oh, really? Because... Actually, no, no, go on. Because, for example, if if uh, they know that the high DC roll is always good and is always really good information, uh, then they're always going to trust it. And if they're like, oh, I only rolled a five, but I still found this thing, that's probably a red herring. Um, that sort of take that... that that's meta knowledge that's hard to ignore. Yes, that's actually something I a hundred percent support, and I've I've knocked around this idea in my head for a long time. Not just in the context of mysteries, I I've always liked the idea of hiding knowledge rolls from the players. Um, the downside, obviously, is they don't get to roll as much, which is really like the most interaction you have in the game in terms of I don't know rolling <laughs> it's it's fun to roll but it's i think there's a lot to be gained from rolling these checks for the players because like you said if they roll a nat 20 they go yeah i found everything but the player or the characters shouldn't know that the in any given context the characters are just doing their best so if they know the, the numerical numerical value of their efforts it it's a disconnect between player and character knowledge I think it's definitely something that needs to be used in moderation, but especially for roles where they could technically do it ad infinitum, just keep like, oh, I'm just going to keep keep rolling until yeah. I get a 20. There's really no point in rolling at that point, right? I think if, if, there's some, if they're doing something that has a chance of failure, uh, then uh, and but they there's nothing to say that they can't try again every time they do it, mm-hmm. then I think it's it's fair to say, all right, let me, let me do that roll for you real quick. Because... Yeah, because then you, you could roll a five and you could, or maybe you roll a nat one and you give them bad information. They have no mm-hmm. way to know that's bad information. But if they roll a one and you say, oh yeah, you think uh, Frank did it. Uh, they're going to be like, man, but Fra- that means Frank didn't do it. <laughs> that, yeah, that's, I like that because then they actually have to think about the clues a lot more. Um, what's the term? Critically? Yeah. They have to really mm-hmm. actually analyze what they're looking at. I, th- I think um, doing it this way also helps curb a big pet peeve of mine, which is a player rolls a shit roll, and then another player goes, okay, I'll do it. And then they roll shit, and someone goes, well, then I'll do it. So I, I, uh, I hate that so much. Like, you shouldn't know... Certainly, you shouldn't know that you yourself are searching poorly, and you shouldn't know that your friends are searching poorly. Yeah. Especially if you're, like, all spread out across a room. Imagine a, the scene in, like, a movie where someone's searching a corner of a room, and someone's on the other end. And then someone storms across. And, no, no, you're not searching, right? It's like, how do you know? Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, and, and one one way to deal with that is, of course, there are a lot of different like in your crime scenes. Add a lot of different things that can be done. Like somebody can have maybe your detective character, uh, you know, snooping around a desk or maybe the body. Uh, you maybe have your party face talking with the authorities or witnesses, um, and or maybe there's somebody that's got a uh, good perception or survival that can sort of try and look around to see if there's anything nearby that's that's potentially useful mm-hmm. uh, and that gives you know that 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 results in sort of players are all actively doing something and maybe maybe they're doubling up a little bit to try and give themselves advantage and that's fine that's what the help action's for but then you yeah. don't have the you don't have skill dog piles going on uh and a way that can help enforce that is uh i I love one thing i've started doing is i for specific kinds of checks i won't even let players make them if they're not proficient yeah i think that's fair i think like you don't want to do that all the time it's like because then that means players are basically picking what skills they're allowed to use at character creation which can be a little lame but it's maybe for 
like uh, the the bar the five inch barbarian's not going to be able to sniff out yeah. uh you know the the small uh um leaf on the boot of the, the murder victim from a faraway country he's not going to recognize that so why let him bother find trying to find it he's going to fail i think that's fair the um <laughs> this is a bit of a an aside but the reason i kind of got into the mindset of potentially hiding roles from players is because i was playing in a one shot years ago where um i was trying to track these uh this trail through the desert that I knew, like, as a player, I knew it was this big, like, caravan moving through. But I got a nat 1, and the DM joked that, like, it looked like a giant centipede monster. I had left the tracks because of all the legs and, like, the weird grooves. <laughs> and I was like, damn, I kind of wish you had just told me that. Like, without... And I didn't know the role, because that would be such a fun thing to, like, work off of. It's like, oh my god, what the terrible creature is this? And then you follow it, it's like, oh, it's pe- oh, it's people. Oh. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> am I an idiot? <laughs> I kind of like that. Like, there's there's a lot of fun to be had with... I guess it, you know, it could get really frustrating if you roll for all your players and every single person gets a nat 1 and you just give them the the worst information ever and they are working off complete bullshit. That's the risk. But there's a lot of fun to be done with it. I think you mentioned doing it in moderation and I think yeah. that's that's the way to go. I think, like, you don't want to be rolling for your players throughout the entire campaign. I know there are groups sure. that do that and find a lot of success with that. But like you mentioned before, half the fun is a rolling. That's most of your interaction with the game. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think for specific instances, it's definitely safe, but you don't want to overdo it. It's also definitely a exercise in trust. If, you're, if your party like trusts you to not fuck them over, you can roll for them a lot more often. Like, I don't know, I'm picturing situations where you're rolling for them in combat. Like, oh, looks like Bill got his fourth natural one. <laughs> it's like, Please, what did I do to offend you, DM? I brought pizza! <laughs> and you put pineapple on it, Fred. <laughs> um, yeah, I think another another way to. Uh, oh man, I had a thought. Shit. What was I gonna say? Rolling for players. Um, red herring. Oh yeah, red herring. Too much. Hey. Especially, especially if you end up in a situation like that where your your roles for your party end up just giving them fuck all. Um, one thing that I try and avoid doing is having long trails of red herrings. I don't want them going down the complete wrong path for an entire session. Mm. Usually, um, if they follow a lead on a red herring, they're going to lose time and that's going to cause problems for them. But I usually don't like... I think I think red herring should have a short um, payoff. I like um, when my in, my... in the mystery I talked about where they're trying to find the spy, when they found that those red stains on the ground and thought, oh god, that's blood. It's The priest is killing people. Um, it did not take them long to find out that it was she was actually dying fabric with with red yeah. dye um and that's you know if they had spent a long time tra- trailing the priest to find out it's like oh look at all these these things are going on and then eventually like at the end of the session they found out oh no it wasn't her after all that'd feel really shitty yeah you and, don't want to set up th- those stains and then find oh god the priest went to another city oh my god they're gonna strike again we gotta go and it takes two weeks to get there and it's not them <laughs> yeah and like i think you the, like once again there's something like do in moderation if you like for example have your enchanter villain who's modifying the memories on people trying to figure out that that's what's going on is basically the whole mystery and you so following so following those trails and learning that these people actually didn't kill anybody uh is totally reasonable and hell that's i mean i wouldn't even consider that a red herring that's um that's actively necessary to solve the mystery but mm-hmm. um i think especially in that situation where you're rolling for your party 
So you you're you're sort of the, the, the you know the arbiter of their fates, uh, punishing them because you rolled a lot of ones is a, is a little shitty. So like they yeah they get a really bad read on a crime scene and they go follow those leads. Um, it shouldn't take them long to figure out oh we're on the wrong track, mm. and they'll and, and hopefully those red herrings will give them more information or at least some information to work off of. So that's what I was gonna say is how do you guys feel about red herrings leading to actual clues so that all they're losing it's just time is that what you were saying at the very beginning of of the <laughs> podcast when we were giving you a lot of shit uh kinda i i think that can definitely work um as long as it's like e- even like the real clue hidden the red herring should still be pretty minute but regardless i think that's fine because stuff's still being moved forward the party i think a lot of the fun with these mysteries is making your players feel clever so uh that's kind of a bittersweet mister like clue they they've gained because they're aware they followed a red head herring, um, and they didn't necessarily put anything together. So I, th- I think it's fine to help it still move along and also let them know that hey, this like you didn't, you didn't really solve anything yet. I don't know. I, I'm I'm doubting myself now because I'm realizing it could run the risk of just feeling like you're giving them clues regardless. I do think there's a good way to there's a, a right way to do it if done well agreed i think i think they shouldn't get a lot for following red herring they shouldn't get a big instrumental yeah. clue that will take them a lot closer to the crime but they should get something that will immediately indicate okay we're on the wrong track and maybe something maybe something minor to get them right back on the right track mm-hmm. i can I, I my my railroading sense is going off a tiny bit but i definitely think it's doable like i think maybe um help just give them a for example if we go to the three to five clues thing and one of them's a red herring maybe after they follow the lead on the red herring they just get a clue that was at the original crime scene or get whatever insight would would have they would have gotten from that so they've they've already got that one clue that is correct and they might not know that at this time they got a red herring followed the red herring uh maybe they're either reminded about that other clue or they get one of the the uh other clues that was there Probably the low DC one. I think this is why more more often than not, I lean towards giving them concrete clues. I definitely like the idea of a like Nathan, your structure of a variety of clues, um, and the ones like the amount you find is based on certain roles or checks or just actions you might take at the scenes. But I definitely like giving them free clues that, like you said, in theory, piecing together all the quote unquote free clues is still enough to solve the mystery. I think I also might, with that that free clue, still not give it to them until they roll on something. So it doesn't... Oh, yeah. Because that way, oh, the, once true. again, that meta-knowledge is not there. It's like, oh, this is your free clue. If We, we just only need this one. Um, I, how would you, would you still do that? Like, say that you're not hiding rolls and they roll a one. Would you still give it to them? Because then, yeah. then if it's like, uh-oh. I'd give them well, that in a red herring. That's fair. A powerful tool in the mystery genre is the twist. Um... Mm. It's used a lot, and sometimes the twist is even the absence of a twist. And I think red herrings are a really powerful tool to achieve the twist. Um, When you guys put twists in your mysteries, how do you go about getting there in a way that doesn't make the players feel like it's a ha-ha, gotcha moment? That's a good question. Well, uh, I've got a one that I've been bringing up pretty periodically that has kind of that, and I didn't think I executed well, but I know how to do it now, and it's my 12 serial killers. <laughs> um, the players, 
basically the whole time were operating under the idea that there was a single serial killer killing people in, in this district of town. Um, and they came to that conclusion because one, that seems like the reasonable assumption. It's like, and uh, two, that's what the NPCs that introduced them to the, 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 the theory thought. And uh, I think one way to achieve this is you want to challenge their assumptions going in. You sort of like kind of some like X-Files shit, like the you know FBI is going in and um, they, have, they have this perceived assumption of what's going on. But Mulder comes around and is like, no, 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 no. See this weird shit going on here? That indicates aliens are involved. Maybe uh, hear the ghost knife, Scully. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and I think that's a good way. It's like so. Like I remember I, how I'd probably do it now is, um, I, I I had the serial killer leaving basically a a calling card at the scene, and the reason people are like, oh, this is all the same guy, is because all of these murders have the same calling card. But you know what I'd probably do now is the players looking into it would notice that the modus operandi beyond that calling card is different for every single one. And hmm. they probably think, oh, maybe they come to a couple different conclusions. Oh, this guy's like a renaissance man of murder. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe the first assumption is capable. He's really good with a, like a crossbow, really good with knives, really good with poisons. And then I'd probably then either then I'd give them one big clue at some point part way through that reveals, oh my god, it's multiple different people. That's why all the different the, like the, the the methods of murder were different. There's like a poisoner. There's a, there's a sniper. There's, there's a guy that likes to do it close and personal. And I think that that's a good way to do it. You want to feed into the idea of that twist going in. Doubt their, make them doubt their perceptions so that when it is revealed... Like two murders happen at the same time. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. Like this is, A big important thing is knowing this twist from the start, and then you can... Like, the clue should have this twist baked into it that, in retrospect, makes sense. I think in, in medium in general, um, in media in general that's the the fun of a twist is all these things in retrospect are have like a new light to them right like you can reevaluate all the clues with the context of the twist this, which think... is which is why setup is so important um and, and kind of like nathan you said you can have npcs give them what is essentially disinformation because of course they're going to assume it's only one person but they're failable npcs so you can put the idea in the player's head of the intention all right or like the what appears to be the truth but they're regular schmucks um so when you i think you guys both touched on this but then when uh, the next two murders happen within 20 minutes of each other but they're on the far other ends of the city then the, pl the players might go like well how the fuck does that work <laughs> something something's amiss here and i think one of the best, greatest things with a twist is when your players, like, right off the bat with, like, zero evidence, or, like, just, like, one maybe tiny little piece of evidence, they go, hey, guys, what if? And then they're right, and they've guessed the whole thing. It's the, and then... <laughs> just Fox Mulder things. Yeah. <laughs> and then they just... They go like, ah, oh, no, it couldn't be that. That's too crazy. And then they go off on this other rabbit trail, and then at the end they're like, shit, we were right, right at the beginning. You know, weirdly enough, like with that, that murder mystery I did for you guys, I didn't really intend for there to be a twist. I felt like, you know, setting up every suspect, in a, every character as a suspect, in a way kind of sets up a twist, because it's like, no matter who it is, ooh, man, I can't believe they're the murderer. But... It's kind of more on you guys that it felt like there was a twist. Because like we said, you guys really honed in on two people and were so mm -hmm. sure of it. 
And, like, this wasn't planned. This was just, like, what happened because of your actions. When we were running out of time, you decided to talk to the final suspect. And you're like, just, you know, when you had that natural organic moment of, uh-oh, you you created the twist for yourself. And I couldn't have asked for, like, a better result. That was not planned by any means. You could have, if you had talked to S.H.I.E.L.D. first, this shit might have been solved in five minutes. But you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, since we're running out of time, I was going to throw out two other things about that that murder mystery that I enjoyed, because we're talking about kind of setup. Um, the murder was done by the bodyguard who was being stored overnight in the storage compartment. So I, I did a couple things, and then series of events, stored in the, in the compartment, climbed outside of the train to get into his master's compartment and shoot him. So I did two things to set up that that was a possibility. When you guys got to this train station in the first place, maintenance was being done outside of the train and people and, and some engineers were coming in and out of these, these ducts that led to the outside of the train. So immediately your first impression of the train was this... I mean, it, it probably just seemed like something happening, which was kind of the point. Um, but you guys had this information in your head of like, you can get outside of the train kind of easily. I also set up this this annoying old Karen character, this old woman who was convinced that every noise on the train was it about to fall apart or that she was her bed was going to collapse on her and kill her or the door was going to fall off. So she was complaining the whole time. Then in the and and the conductor was clearly getting annoyed with her and just eventually told her to like just go in her room and shut up. So the next morning after the murder when she starts complaining about all the banging outside her compartment both the conductor and i think the players kind of brush that off as like whatever lady you're just you've you've been complaining the whole time you're still complaining but those were two extremely important clues and once i think that obviously led into your your solving of the murder uh willis because you realized wait a minute he was in the compartment alone wait a minute we know about these ducks wait a minute the lady and i i saw the moment when all that like clicked into place for you yeah and there was I'll just give kind of my perspective on this, like going into this um, and kind of knowing you a little bit and also (laughs) knowing the genre a little bit, I was like, in my head, I was expecting a twist. And so in my head, I was like, okay, take all the big, like obvious things with a grain of salt and all the like little things, pay extra attention to it. And so like (laughs) the very beginning with, I think... We got that first clue before we even knew that there was a, mur- a mystery or a murder yeah. going to happen. You literally just were boarding a train. Yeah, I, I I, kind of, that one was like, oh, flavor. And then it happened again, or we saw them again, like, right after it happened. And it reminded me of that. And I was like, okay, that's definitely important. It's happened twice now. And then the mm-hmm. old lady, I was like, yeah, she doesn't seem like she's very important. There's going to be, there's got to be something <laughs> here. And I, I don't know if it's just like my paranoid... Um, metagaming that was happening i i mean probably a little bit but then at the very end when it was like we were so sure and i think we had gotten like we had gotten like a confession out of them that they were like okay yeah we robbed him but we didn't kill him i was like okay it's it's for sure like it's gotta be somebody else but i couldn't like none of the pieces fit together until the old lady came back through and was like, somebody was stomping around on the outside of the train. And I was just like, are there hatches in the storage room? 
And you were like, yes. And it just instantly was oh, like... Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> that was the final question. That was the that final was question it. you asked. Yeah, and I was just like, oh my god. And I went and I was like... Because I made the connection, and then my character never said anything. And went off by himself to interrogate him, and then we get into the whole um, yeah. thing there. It was just, like, so perfect. And that's something I, really cool you can do, is, and I'm thinking about that now, is introduce clues that at a glance aren't related to the crime. Yeah. Just sort of, like, throw throw things happening on in the background so that when your players do realize, wait a minute, if that can happen, and those are the things going on there, that means, oh no. And that's a great way to make them feel smart because they're grabbing information that's not immediately pertinent and saying mm -hmm. that's that's part of this and that that can feel really cool like i'm sure it did for for willis finding figuring that out oh yeah because you feel like a fucking and genius I, I felt it was so awesome it was just like such a great moment and i think charles i think you did say this to me like at some point afterwards that you would if if you were to do it differently you would add other actually useless information that like like really is just background noise yeah i think so because i maybe it's just retrospect but those were the pretty much the two like non npc interaction moments that happened i where i just kind of for like 30 seconds cut scenes you guys so in retrospect those seemed very obvious but you know you know that trope of D D players needing toddler puzzles to solve them <laughs> yeah. i feel like it's okay to do i don't even think this is an easy mystery but i think it's okay to do obvious clues because you no matter what amount of like fitting the pieces together your players do even if it's taking like fitting two pieces together they're gonna feel great and that's what you want to do you want to make your players feel smart yeah especially because one of those was even like introduced before the concept of a murder mystery was even yeah on the table at that point mm -hmm. so it, it's you know might might have been one of only a couple um sort of cutscene like hey, and please draw your attention to this moments but um <laughs> it, it sort of it, it you know out of sight out of mind it's like oh, they, you're not thinking about that by the time the, a man's dead yeah i don't even think it was 30 seconds i think i tried to keep it very short so it wasn't that suspicious but re regardless and i guess i try to throw in a lot of like descriptor scenes anyway but we're over time uh <laughs> good shit <laughs> Uh, that was one of my favorite, like, mini arcs of the whole campaign, honestly. It was really fun. Could have sworn I had one more thing. What was it? This keeps uh, happening to me. Setup. Um, clues before the murder. Oh, yeah. Uh, going back to the twist real quick. Oh, like, yeah. we, we touched on this very briefly, but if you are going to do a twist, I think this is one of the things Charles and I were concerned about when Willis was talking about this earlier. Uh, once you... The clues that you introduced before the twist should still be relevant afterward. That's that's the big way yeah. to avoid a gotcha. You want to, mm. like, you want to, your clues should lead into the twist and should make sense after it happens. Like, oh, that's what that meant. And they should also yeah. still be relevant afterwards to in order to solve the crime. Because if you if you throw a twist and then suddenly the first in, half of the entire investigation is pointless, that's a gotcha. Yeah, I definitely like the idea of them making, like, having entirely new context given the twist. Yeah, that's that's the best way to do it because then they're still relevant, but they mean something else now. Mm -hmm. I th Willis, what was that quote? You there were, there's a there's a quote from Dwight from The Office, right? 
Where it's like it's never who you most suspect or who you least suspect. It's whoever you most oh, medium yeah. suspect. <laughs> the person you most medium suspect. And that's honestly how I went into this and like so I went into this thinking like, okay, uh Shield is like the least suspect because he's the bodyguard, so he has the least reason to want him dead. And I think honestly, like until the end we didn't have any like we didn't know why we didn't have any motive for him until the very end and then it was that we were getting the clues for the two people and we're like okay those two people like i feel like are the ones i most suspect so it's not them and it's not shield it's got to be somewhere in between and then it ended up being shield and that was a good twist for me because of the kind of the meta knowledge that i went in oh yeah my my hope was kind of that shield would be suspicious anyway because literally just knowing the context of the setting you guys are like very familiar with the with how warforged are treated and you guys are very invested in the history of the setting but for context uh warforged made the last or made to fight in the last war and egan baker you guys found out was an arms dealer who had made weapons during the war and now was continuing to do so so i thought just knowing that context and the greater setting of the world would be enough to be like why would this warforged just like this guy that much? Like, that seems like an odd relationship. And that was ultimately the reason why S.H.I.E.L.D. killed him, because he was threatening the peace. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so, okay, we really got to wrap. But th- this module that I, I based it on, I-, I tweaked a lot of it. There's like 12 suspects, and I ripped out like half of them and changed a bunch and combined others. In the the original module, S.H.I.E.L.D. is not a possible subject. S.H.I.E.L.D. is a character but the way the module set up, it tells you like, "Hey, roll to see who the murderer is," and Shield is not on that list. And I was like, "Excuse me, the twist that the bodyguard did it is quite fun. Why are you not even entertaining that possibility?" That that was really weird for me. Uh, but I did, I, I didn't roll for it. I did pick Shield because I knew you even mentioned this. I knew that thematically, it was the most interesting, knowing that you're you are warforged, and I knew. Specifically, if you came across that information, it would be a moral dilemma for you to turn them in or not. Mm-hmm. Good shit. We gotta wrap. <laughs> yeah. Not quite as long as the alignment episode, but yeah. We're, we're getting there. <laughs> uh, I think the most important advice I can give for running, uh, running a mystery is to write out the series of events. Don't flub the series of events retroactively. Know what happened. Know what clues to set up that reference it. And without it, you can't you can't do foreshadowing. So it's very important to know the series of events. Going off of that same thing, I I think structures is very important in the running of it as as, as well. Um, you don't need to maybe have the whole thing, pl- the whole line planned out, but have have your have your specific, you know, incidents uh, ready to go. Like a three to five clues. Make sure one's always avail- available to be found. I think that's a that's a really good way to ease yourself into the genre at the very least mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think it's important to have have a plan and know as much as you possibly can about your mystery but be flexible because like no matter how well you plan it's gonna fall apart <laughs> and you got to be able to switch things around and think on your feet yeah well, thanks for listening, everyone. We're going to be back next week talking about Mind Flayers. Back to another monster. Mind Flayers are fucked up, man. They're, they're horrifying. 
Did you see the Baldur's Gate 3 trailer where they're putting like worms in people's eyes? I love it. It's gross. <laughs> the best. Okay. See you next week, everyone. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye.